0: My name is Matt Sawada, one of the pastors here at LAFC, and man, I, what a privilege to be able to open God's Word with you this morning. Um, this morning, June 23rd, this beautiful Sunday, we're going to continue the conversation. We're going to continue the conversation talking through being anchored. Now, this is a, an all-summer conversation. We spent the month of May talking about being anchored relationally, this month we're talking about being anchored emotionally. Next month, looking forward to it, we're going to talk about being anchored theologically, and then we'll end in August talking about being anchored apologetically. And so this morning, as we kind of pick up the ball at the fourth sermon of fourth of five, in being anchored emotionally, uh, Tony Tony kicked us off at the park by talking about hope by reminding us that we can find hope in the midst of day-to-day life. And then he, he continued by, by saying, wow, we can even we can find hope in the face of pressure. We're all receiving pressure from various places today. Family members, neighbors, jobs, kids. We're getting pulled. There's hope. There's hope. We can find hope in the midst of that. And last week, Pastor Randy talked about anxiety and worry. And what does it look like to cast your burdens onto Him because He cares for you, 1 Peter 5. We don't have to carry this burden of worry and anxiety. We can place it on Him. I love that preposition. Well, this morning, on week four of this five-part series, we're going to talk about what, what does it mean to find hope? in the face of depression. And so, as my friends, these ushers, come forward, uh, they've got some Bibles. If you need a Bible this morning, raise your hand. They'd love to to pass one out to you. But as they come forward, I'd like to clarify just a couple things right at the onset of this sermon. First thing, we're about to talk about depression, and I am not a mental health professional. Right? Right? I'm a lot of things, but that is not one of them. (laughs) And, but, I am a man who's experienced it personally, who's been through some of these seasons. A a man who lives with those I love very dearly, who has experienced some of these downcast and crushed spirit seasons. I'm a pastor who's sat across the table from many of you in the midst of the ups and downs of life. And probably most importantly, like many of us in this room, I'm a child of God who humbly admits, absolutely humbly admits, that even though I've been exposed to depression and and all these situations, I do not fully understand this mental illness. But because of my identity, because of who I love, and my understanding doesn't almost matter because I know He does. Our God is bigger than depression. He is a big God who understands all things that we don't. And so this morning, I'd like to begin just talking about emotions. You see, emotions are something. that that we all deal with, some more than others. Wives don't nudge husbands here. But have you ever thought about your emotions? Have you ever wondered how much authority do you give your emotions in your life? Is the goal of each one of your days to just be happy? To make it through the day with no conflict? <laughs> this is the goal to, to make it 24 hours with maybe not experiencing sadness or anger or fear that are bad emotions? You know, in my almost 42 years of life, I've come to realize that these emotions are not bad in themselves. Emotions are actually really helpful. They are God-given, and if seen within a, an appropriate lens, I think they can really point us to our need for a savior. You See, emotions are God-given signals. You know, as I've prepared for this sermon, I've interacted with several friends who are either counselors or who have been, um, been through seasons of depression in their lives. It's been a blessing to have their input into this. So thank you to those of you who helped. But one of our friends, she's a trusted counselor, she said, I love this quote, emotions, we need to see emotion as a signal, as signals. These signals are not sinful in and of themselves, but they're signals that we experience in our bodies and minds that let us know how we're doing, what we need, and how we might adjust our thoughts and behaviors in order to improve our situations, relationships, and overall being. These signals, our emotions, are fundamentally good. They are a good thing. And since we are created as image bearers of God, we're created to be like Him, it's only natural that since He feels, we should feel. We can't call something that he experiences bad because he is all good. I think he wants us to appropriately engage these signals and then bring them to him. But we as humans tend to either overemphasize emotion or underemphasize it. We become either too emotional or too unemotional and detached. This is probably describing all of us in this room: the roller coaster or the flatline. As I like to, as I was thinking about this, uh, I think emotions are kind of like popcorn. Now I'm going to make you hungry. You're welcome. You know, when you, say you go to the movies and you get some popcorn. First of all, you walk in and the smell is amazing. You can't not get popcorn. But I would say that the emotions are like the flavor on the popcorn, right? It's the butter. (laughs) It's the salt. It's that awesome cheese spread that you can kind of sprinkle on it. popcorn without those things it's just kind of crunchy life without emotion is kind of bland but when we take these emotions when we take the butter and the salt and the cheese and we mix all that together and eat only that it's heartburn <laughs> it's not good when we elevate emotion to a place where it shouldn't be, it's not healthy. We shouldn't allow the emotion to become the substance. That's dangerous. It's the flavor. And so these emotions are not only God-given signals, they're not only, we don't, we, don't, <laughs> we have a tendency to overemphasize or underemphasize them. The problem is, is that oftentimes our, our feelings lie. Our feelings are not bad in themselves, but they don't, they don't, they they probably tell us what we, we should be doing, not what we need to do. It might be a helpful way of saying that. See, very rarely do these emotions give us the truth about reality that we should then go and do partly because they can change in a split second. Within a 30-second period, you can have five different emotions. And that could have been just because of what you ate for breakfast. That could have been what someone else is eating for breakfast. Could have been the lack of sleep. Could be a biological issue. Or 10,000 other variables. See, our emotions are fleeting, but truth is constant. (coughs) And yet, for some reason, we as humans tend to elevate these emotions as gods who always speak the truth, which means when we feel bad, we assume that things must be bad. The, The problem is, so that's not often the case. One of the most important things we can learn is to recognize that what I'm feeling shouldn't always dictate what I do. The truth is located outside of me in Scripture or inside of me through His Spirit, not my emotion. Again, emotion's the flavor on top of the popcorn. So even though these are God-given signals, emotion, emotions don't deserve the platform we often give them, but yet we often allow them to control our thoughts and our lives. So here's the first main point this morning. Write this down. We should spend our lives not pursuing the feeling, but pursuing Christ. Amen. Amen. Because the problem then is, if we're pursuing the feeling, if we've elevated the feeling, what happens when we wake up tomorrow and we can't feel? What happens tomorrow when we wake up and we're in a fog? And we can't feel happy? Or the signal is always reading negative, Our tears flow too long and for reasons we just can't pinpoint. What happens if we wake up tomorrow and we lack the energy that we used to have and we're consumed by an apathy or a laziness that we just can't shake? What happens if we wake up tomorrow and it's beautiful outside but really gray inside? And life is numb. And there's, a, there's like a white noise resonating in between our ears. And it affects us. Well, for millions of individuals, this is a reality. It's, a, it's something called depression. Sufferers of depression can't control their descent into this dark season, nor can they pull themselves out of the pit by their sheer will. They can't turn it on tomorrow and then off the next day. You don't know when, or how long, or how severe. You can't schedule around this. It really interrupts life. And many of these individuals are at best living in survival mode, and unfortunately, at worst, contemplating suicide. Maybe you know someone, or maybe you are someone who has been diagnosed as depressed. I love you. You know, a few overarching truths What I'd like to do this morning, we're going to look at a couple truths here about depression. And then we're going to look at some lies, some common lies of depression. And then we're going to end by talking about hope in the midst of it That's our path, as our journey for this morning. Uh, the first truth that I would love to, to point out is that depression is not, let me say this again, it is not your identity. Your depression is not your identity. You see, depression is a complex medical label. It's a term that defines the symptoms you're experiencing. So, for instance, if we all got into our cars, we go on a field trip right now and drive to Giant, and we can go to the soup aisle. I don't know what number that is, but it's there. You go down that aisle and you see all the Campbell soups, right? You're going to find a bunch of different types of soup. Chicken noodle with ABCs, with numbers, with Star Wars guys. There's a million different types of chicken noodle soups. There's tomato soup. There's probably some sort of potato soup. I don't know. It's been a while since I've done that. Looked at all the soup labels. But you're going to go down that aisle looking for the label that describes the contents, the ingredients. I don't know about you, but I've never eaten the label. I eat the soup. And so that label, all that label does is describe the contents. It describes the symptoms. Mike Emlett, he's a counselor uh, through CCEF, says this, that your medical diagnosis, your depression, is not the sun around which your whole life needs to orbit. It's a descriptive term that describes symptoms not necessarily causes. Well, there are common symptoms to this, maybe hopelessness, a despairing mood, loss of energy, inability to concentrate. Identifying the symptom is easy. It's reading a label. Identifying the cause is a whole, nother deal. You see, the causes of depression vary broadly. Knowing an individual has depression tells you absolutely nothing about why that person is depressed. Depression is just a label. It's not the identity. Your label does not define who you are. You can't accurately say, I am depression. Not only is it bad grammar, it's incorrect. And so there's a, there's a scale to depression, the second truth, right? It, it, we could be interacting with individuals, maybe even in this room, and one of them would say, you know, today I feel kind of depressed. And then the next person we could ask how they're feeling, they could say, man, I've been struggling with depression for months. Do you see this range there's such a range to depression. On one end, it could be, I just kind of feel a little down today. I'm feeling a little, I'm feeling the weight. On the other end, this could be months and years. This could be a, a weight that they're experiencing probably for, possibly for the last couple Decades. There's such a range to this. When someone begins talking about depression, um, the questions you need to ask are about severity, about duration, about frequency. To be medically labeled, I believe it's two weeks. You've had to have these symptoms for two weeks long. And so there's, there's so much packaged in this concept. It's a massive, complex issue. It's from someone who's experienced depression on this severe end of the spectrum. This guy, Todd Peppercorn. It's kind of a cool last name. Uh, he's, he's written quite a bit on it. He's a, he's a pastor, I think, in the Northeast. He says this, Depression is a frightful disease of the mind, turning one inward and sucking out the very marrow of a personality until there is nothing left but darkness. It's a great weight that never lets up, never releases the sufferer from its crushing power. It's miserable. But yet it's a reality for so many of our friends. And when you're in the midst of of this or this, either end, the things that once inspired awe and delight begin to lose their impact. The, The daily mundane tasks of showering, of making a meal and parenting... of of actually getting dressed and going to work, begin to feel impossible. So this is depression. There's a sliding scale to depression, and it varies in every situation. So depression is not your identity. There's a range to it. Depression is referenced biblically. Just looking in the Psalms, I found three or four different Psalms that speak to it. Psalm 42 says this, Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? This is David asking God this question. He's saying, no, but I'm going to yet praise him. I'm going to put my hope in God, my Savior and my God, even when my soul is downcast within me. He goes on to repeat this in verse 11 when he says this, Why, my soul, are you so downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. This is a man coming from a place of downcast, of disturbed soul, and yet he is still looking to his Father, God, for hope. He goes on and continues. You see some more of these synonyms for depression in Psalm 34, 18. The Lord is close to the, what? The brokenhearted. He saves those who are crushed in spirit. And then he goes on in Psalm 143 to say this. Lord, hear my prayer. Listen to my cry for mercy. In your faithfulness and righteousness, come to my relief. David is pleading saying, God, please don't bring your servant into judgment, for no one living is righteous before you. The enemy pursues me. He crushes me to the ground and makes me dwell in the darkness like those long dead. Listen to this. My spirit grows faint within me, and my heart within me is dismayed. you catching some of these synonyms While Scripture doesn't speak specifically about depression, it describes it beautifully. It gives gives a beautiful list of examples and synonyms for those who are struggling in the midst of it to identify with. And the book of Psalms in particular gives people the language to pray. Pray when those words don't come easy. So depression is not your identity. There's a scale and a range to it. Depression is referenced biblically uh, all over scripture, but specifically in the Psalms. Might be the most important truth right here. Depression is not a sign of weak faith. I say that again. Depression is not a sign of being an inferior Christian. As we just noted, the the Psalms, you've got this guy named David who's experienced it. You've got Elijah and Job and Abraham in the Old Testament. These men were pillars of our Old Testament, and they experienced these seasons, this is a, a human issue. A friend, one of our, my friends who kind of spoke into this sermon, said this Depression isn't often a result of not trusting God or not having enough faith. It's the reality of what a person is going through. In some ways, no different than cancer or the flu. Unlike cancer and the flu, depression is in the mind that it affects us physically, but it's a mental, hidden disability. And so when we dismiss depression as an affliction of faithlessness, we crush believers in the moment they need hope the most. And so if I were to tell you struggling with depression that you aren't a believer, I have taken your legs out from under you. That's sin. That's wrong and so incorrect. You see, my hope this morning is is to encourage us as believers to pursue Christ in the midst of whatever we are going through. Let's be believers who pursue Christ in the midst of depression, not as a solution to an illness. He's not just a Band-Aid or a, a balm that we put on a boo-boo. He's, he's our Savior. Randy Alcorn, you know, popular author, said this, He, God, Isn't waiting for you to come out of it before walking with you, but he's eager to walk with you in the midst of it. We do not need to put ourselves together before we come to God. That is a lie. Guys, depression is a medical problem with spiritual ramifications, and it affects our whole being physically, spiritually, emotionally. And the causes of it are so broad, it's so hard to pinpoint. And so it's this all-consuming thing, whether it's a a monthly, yearly issue, or even just a small situational one, depression really seeps in and hits us. Well, see, there there are promises that are deeper and more powerful than your pain, and depression. So regardless of the situation, God wants us to bring our emotions, our feelings, our thoughts to him, allowing his son to anchor us in the midst of the storm. Oh, last week, Pastor Randy showed us a couple pictures of, of boats. And this one, and you hope that it's anchored, is, is about to be hit by a storm. Now, the owners of that boat, what can they do? They can drop that anchor. That anchor can be attached to something that will hold them in the midst of the impending storm. What can the owners of that boat not control? The storm. Last time I checked, I couldn't tell God to, I couldn't tell those clouds to go away. God, I want to go to the pool today. No, please, no thunder and lightning. I can ask. I can't control it. It's the same thing with a storm-like depression. When our anchor is solidly resting in Christ, it changes the way we weather a storm. We're going to ebb and flow. We're going to be tossed to and fro. But if that anchor is deep, we know We can only go so far. Without the anchor, who knows where that boat ends up? And so these realities, these truths of depression, are significant. But there's also some lies. You see, in the midst of darkness, it's almost as if the synapses in the brain are not able to connect with reality, there's a disconnect. It's like trying to, to talk on the phone when you're driving in, in rural Maine, right? Wait, I gotta call you back. I can't hear what you're saying. I can't hear what you're saying, right, Scott? Yeah. I can't hear what you're saying. There's a disconnect. And so the, you're not able to receive truth. It's difficult. When my wife Robin and I were processing this sermon, uh, she, she said, you know, Matt, when I'm depressed, um, I have a hard time receiving truth. And so I could walk up to her, pull out her favorite verse, Philippians 2. If you know Robin? That's where she's going to go in a conversation. Have the same mindset as that of Christ Jesus. Let's put the interest of others before ourselves. And on a normal day, I'm getting an amen. I'm getting a fist bump. She's going to say, preach that. This is awesome. Yeah, let's go. Let's talk truth. On a down day, I have no idea what truth she hears. No idea. And she doesn't know either. Because of the disconnect, the fog that is, she is resting in, uh, the, the same verse, spoken to the same person who absolutely loves Jesus, is received in different ways. What we've learned is that the, the off-season matters. So if you look at depression as in in-season, and then when you're out of it, the off-season. That off-season's really important. Coming up with a plan in the midst of that. For her and I, Matt, when I'm feeling this, when these triggers are coming up, what, what should we do? Helping me to identify the triggers in her has been so Helpful. But when we put the time in, when she in particular puts the time in during that off season, learning to be with him, regardless of her state of mind, it's huge helping her to combat the depression in season, if that makes sense. So there are some lies here. There are some lies to depression. The first one, and this is the worst, I think this is absolutely uh, horrible, is that there is no hope. There's no hope. Nothing matters. There's always hope. Lamentations 3, 19 says this. I remember my afflictions and my wandering, the bitterness and the gall. I will remember them, and my soul is downcast within me. Basically, this author is saying, when I'm experiencing this, verse 21, I'm going to call to mind and have hope because... Verse 22, of the Lord's great love. We are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. we just sang that. So we can trust in him because of who he is. It's not our great trust. It's his beautiful character that allows us to bring our issues to him. And so even on the darkest of days, his compassion never fails. It's kind of the second lie. Man, nobody cares for me. Depression wants us isolated. Nobody loves me. I am unlovable. Anyone in my life is only doing this out of duty or pity. As Randy mentioned last week, 1 Peter 5 says, humble yourselves therefore under God's mighty hand that he might lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him, cast your depression on him because he what? He cares for you. You are loved by the Creator God. You have hope and you are not alone. The fourth lie. And as I interacted with some of these friends who spoke into this sermon, this came in the form of a question. Can it can I really be a depressed Christian? I mean, again, this hurts my heart. Absolutely, yes. Absolutely. Just because you're going through a season of no joy does not change who God is and what his son has done for you. And please, church, when you're meeting with someone who's feeling this, don't insinuate that they're not a believer. That is not for you to judge. You see, depression can end It can end. And we can be a Christian and still take medicine. This is something that that we can realize that our faith as Christians is bigger, it's larger than our depression. Granted, this is hard. But your lack of joy does not mean you aren't loved and cared for by your Savior. You know, if you're sitting in the middle of, of depression, right, we'll kind of shift here to talking about hope extended. Um, some of the last things you probably want are a lot of really deep conversation. And so, those of you who are on the outside looking in, maybe it's a family member or a spouse or a kid or a neighbor or a coworker who is showing some of these signs. How do we extend hope from the outside in? I'd say, first off, remember who you are. In particular, remember who you aren't. You aren't God. You aren't their Savior. And if you're not a medical professional, you're not that either. So don't judge, don't come trying to fix them. Come with love and try to understand them. Try to understand the circumstance rather than telling them what to do better. Specifically, medication. There's many people who have many opinions about this. And I think it's helpful to consider medication as one of the several means with which God may use to bring about healing. Can God directly intervene and heal immediately? Absolutely. Does he always? No. So there are many different ways that healing is going to come about. We can't discount medication. Medication may be a great help, but it isn't the answer. It may help a person function and fulfill their daily tasks allowing them to then receive the truth in a way they couldn't under the fog. I love this quote. One Christian doctor states this. He said, Medication should never take the place of sanctification, but it can certainly help it. As believers, when one takes medication... We must continue to do the heart work seeking to trust and think right thoughts about God. That's a both and. I don't think it's an either or. So remember who you are. Don't judge. Let's stop that. But, but let's encourage them to get help they need, whether it's from their, their family doctor or from a trained counselor or bring them here to the church. And, and let us help them navigate the waters of this season. But then don't leave them alone. You're not just tossing a lateral and then you're done. No, you're going to walk this journey with them. They need you in their lives. And so in those moments, don't make trite statements to cheer them up. Things like, hey, I, you know what, Chris, it, it could be worse. Or, or saying something like, um, why don't, you know, Tony, why don't you just focus on the positive? Don't take things so hard. <laughs> okay, what you're doing is you're taking your finger on their bruise, and you're just pressing it. And you're just poking their wound. Don't you, don't you think that if simple statements like that were going to work, they would w- actually work? well, you just made it worse. So just be careful with those trite statements. Ask questions. Don't preach at them. Depression is not a one-size-fits-all condition. Every situation is going to be unique, so don't make assumptions. Embrace the complexity. Medication, meditation, exercise, diet, prayer, rest, these are all things that are helpful in the midst of these downcast, crushed spirit seasons. Don't just apply one and overemphasize and simplify something. Right? Remember, you're not the professional. You're their friend. And this is coming from a reader here, self-proclaimed, I'm the library at LEC. Um, don't give him a book. Don't give him a book. I know, sorry, Tom, right? This is us. But, you know, it, uh, oftentimes they can barely get through a day rather than make their way through a book. A single verse might be too much. Don't give them 250 pages to read an exposit for tomorrow. Church, we've got to be a group of people who engages this issue. We've got to lean in. When we see someone with these symptoms, the first thing we should do is not run. But we should be present. We should listen. We should love them. This is a chance to enter into their world. Very often, those who are depressed aren't looking so much for a savior as they are for a friend. That's our calling. Let's do friending well. And while we're going through it, pray. And then pray some more. And then pray again. Asking for His Spirit to give you the words and for His Spirit to change their hearts. This is not your job to fix them, it's our job to love them. It's our job to just come alongside and let them know that they're loved for those of you who might be sitting in a season or coming out of one or have tendencies to to maybe dip down into depression. I want you to hear this today. We love you. You are loved. And you don't have to do this alone. You have a body of believers who would love to lean in and journey with you. Please, let someone know what you're experiencing. If you come talk to me, if you come talk to many of us, there is zero judgment. Because you are not abnormal. This isn't weird. This is something we all go through from time to time, and nobody is immune to this illness. It could happen to any of us tomorrow. And so hang on. Hang on. There will be a day when Christ's glorious return happens. And in that moment, the tears that you've cried will have dried up. The brokenness will be mended. And these tendencies, this illness, will be banished never to return. That day is going to be awesome, isn't it? It's going to be a great day. And until that day, please rest in the simple, lovely truths that God has declared over you, that you are loved, that you are held and supported, and that you are sustained until the end. If you're sitting in this spot, I hope you hear that today, that you are loved. And you don't have to do this alone. Lean into the Psalms. God's given us a beautiful 150 chapters of text that give us words to describe what we're feeling. Pray those. Find one that resonates and stay there. You know, it's okay to ask for help. Every one of you has one of these cards in your bulletin. Fill it out during this next song. Turn it in. There's containers here at any of these entrances and we will be in contact this week. Come forward during this song. We'd love to talk and pray with you. You're not alone. We love you. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, I pray that today as we we worship As we finish this time together, I I pray that no matter what season or state we're currently in, Father, I pray you'd give us the eyes, you'd give us the heart, that your spirit would allow us to see your character, your grace, and your goodness. In the midst of whatever we're going through, whatever storm is present, Father, we can anchor... drop that anchor because of Jesus and so Lord I pray that as we sing these songs Father we would trust that no darkness can contain our hallelujah that your cross has made the way for my hallelujah so Lord we just thank you for Jesus and the hope we have because of his birth, life, death and resurrection so Father we love you And we thank you for the sacrifice of your son, Jesus. Uh, I'd like to end today with uh, just a couple verses from Hebrews 12. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, we've just raised the hallelujah with them, right? (laughs) Since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. I love doing life with you, raising hallelujahs together. You don't have to do anything alone. Lean in and let's live life together. Have a great day.